Welcome to our fourth session on being human. Today we're going to talk about freedom and ethical choice, mostly freedom and the conditions for ethical choice. I like this quote from Fernando Ocari's The Prelate of Opus Dei in the letter he wrote on the 1st of January 2018, where he says, acknowledging the freedom of each woman and man means acknowledging that they are persons masters of their own acts and responsible for them, able to direct their own lives. Although freedom does not always lead everyone to develop into their best selves, we can never exaggerate its importance, since if we were not free, we would not be able to love. And love is characteristic of the human person, because it's self-giving, it's self-gift, it's our interchange with other people. Uh, with the many types of love that exist. We live for love, and love makes us happy. Happiness means to love and to be loved. So let's see what that means in terms of human freedom and human behavior. We call human behavior voluntary intentional acts, that is, activities we do knowingly and willingly and therefore we can be held responsible for them. No one would think of taking a fox to a court of law because he ate three of Farmer Jones' chickens. Foxes just act according to their desires, their need to have nutrition, to feed themselves, etc., and to flourish that way. But human beings are held responsible for their activities. Why? Because we are free and we can choose. We can know the truth, we can know what is good, and then we can choose whether to follow what is truly good with our freedom. So freedom, then, is the capacity to reflect on what we feel and desire, and then to choose what we really think is the best, that is, the truly good. Our intelligence is our spiritual faculty, that is, our non-material faculty power of knowing, And it's the way, it's the power by which we recognize what things are and their relative value compared to good, better, best. And we're always striving for the highest good. Why? Because we know instinctively, we feel instinctively, that the highest good will give us happiness. And above all, we desire happiness because that's what we're made for. Um, The almost wild search for happiness in all kinds of, sometimes the wrong places, people engage in is because we are actually made for completion. We're made for flourishing. We're made for happiness. We're made for the fulfillment of the desires of the different dimensions of our humanity. We need to eat, just like the fox that ate Farmer Jones' chickens, okay? Uh, We need to have nutrition in order to live, but that doesn't make us happy in itself. We look for something more. Like what? Well, like we want to eat with someone. I mean, if we're in a hurry or whatever, we might prefer eating alone. But usually, don't we like to make a meal a social event so that we can share with others the good that we're experiencing? And that's true in every one of our dimensions. If we're happy because something good happened, don't we want to share it with someone else? And don't we aspire, aren't we driven, to want to love some other who will love us, know us, 
accept us completely, with no reserves, with our defects, with our weaknesses. And don't we desire to be loved by someone like that? That's what leads people to seek a spouse to marry. And ultimately, it's what leads us to seek God, who is the only one who can fulfill us, make us completely happy, and fulfill us in terms of relationships with other people. Because insofar as we are close to God, that is loved by him, and know ourselves beloved by him that way, and love him in return, and try to please him, that is, be good and virtuous, seek the true and the good, we then enjoy loving others as well, and more than we would if we were seeking our complete happiness from merely some other human being. So if we are satisfied by the ultimate good in the way we can possess it in the here and now, which is always in a limited way, and we still aspire to the full possession of God in heaven, insofar as we are happy in our relationship with God, we can bring others through our love of them into that happiness too. And that makes us happier. It completes our happiness because, as we know, we don't live for ourselves alone. Okay, We're social by nature. We're meant to communicate, um, to share, to live with others, spread the happiness and spread the good. Well, rolling that into our relationship with God will complete our happiness. We love God, we love others, and we love ourselves rightly, and virtue allows us to do this, which means our freedom needs education. And how do we educate our freedom? We educate our freedom through knowing the truth. Because if we know the truth, if we know what is really good to pursue, then we can guide ourselves to seek the ultimate good, the highest good, always. Oh, yes, we'll fail, of course. We're fallible human creatures, and then we can repent. But if we seek always to live in the truth and do the good, we will be as happy as any creature on earth can be in this fallen world. Aristotle himself um, came to that conclusion in the Nicomachean Ethics, a book he wrote for his son about how to live a good life. And human happiness, basically, he concludes, is educating the mind to know what is true so that human person, that is, intelligence and free will in action, can choose the good consistently and freely and direct all of our powers, including our instincts and what used to be called our lower appetites, that is, the desires for goods that are less than the more noble goods, like love of another human being, love of knowledge, of learning, love of justice, um, those sorts of things. The lower goods are other goods that are good, certainly good, because there's nothing evil in itself. God did not create evil. All of creation is good. But things like um, pizza or a happy cocktail hour, enjoying the food and the wine, um, things like that. So more material-type pleasures, right? Um, so let's go back to freedom and human behavior then. 
Human behavior is made up of voluntary and intentional acts, and freedom is the capacity to reflect on what we feel and desire, what we're drawn to or kind of repelled by, and the capacity to choose what we really think is best that is truly good. So we see here why it's important to educate the mind in the truth, because the will has been called in the past a, a kind of a blind power. The will is directed toward the good, just as human reason wants to seek truth. Of course, nobody wants to be told lies. Nobody wants to be in error. Ignorance is not bliss. Um, we want to know. And what do we want to know? We want to know what's real, what's true, what's good, right? So uh, we need to educate the mind to seek the truth in all things. And then the mind, our reason, directs our will to choose the highest good, that is, what we really think is truly good in each situation. So the will, then, is the faculty, the capacity, the power by which we choose what reason presents to us as good. And the will is the guiding force in human behavior. And we know that because we realize from within our own experience that if I really want something, I will strive to get it with all my power, no matter what it takes. No matter the physical effort, no matter the fatigue, no matter the mental effort, the mental tiredness that it may cause, uh, you know, some people will even give their lives, if it's the true good, right, uh, to, to give their lives for what they want, what they really want to achieve or die in the effort, okay? So because we know we're capable of knowing everything that there is to know within our limited human power of knowing. Uh, we want to know everything about everything, right? That's the fundamental thrust of the intellect. The horizon of things to desire is infinite as well. In other words, because our mind is open to all the good that exists, our wills are drawn to all the good that exists. But we have this uh, sort of damage in us, it's called original sin, and we notice it uh, when we try to make choices, that sometimes we're drawn to choices that are actually not even good, or we're drawn to things that will, if chosen, will not lead to our ultimate true happiness, sometimes not even in the short term, much less in the long term. So then we need to bring our powers into integrity and our desires into that same integrity so that we can habitually and freely, without feeling all confused and pulled in a million different directions, um, choose what is truly good. So we, have, we are free on three levels, on the ontological, the psychological, and the moral levels. What is ontological freedom? It means freedom, in fact, freedom of action. It means absence from constraint. And our human actions are neither completely determined, that's not biological necessity, um, nor completely random. We can't help desiring our own happiness, we said before, but we're free in regard to the means that we use to achieve that happiness. Um, the absence of extrinsic constraint that is, liberty from coercion, 
this kind of the most basic uh, freedom that we have, right? You think of a dog on a leash, it's constrained. A dog running free is not constrained. Well, human beings, if they're not limited physically by something or um, by circumstances or whatever, we're free to move around, to do whatever we choose, etc. But then there's something called absence from intrinsic constraint, that is, from necessary action. And this is where human freedom really lies. Um, animals and plants do what they do. They are born, they live, they grow, they achieve their purpose, unless something interferes, and then they die. But human beings do not have to follow just the processes of nature. Okay. We are free in a different way. We can even transcend those processes. I may feel tired, but I may need to finish this piece of work for a deadline, and so what happens? I choose to resist my fatigue and keep on giving just a little bit more until I finish this piece of work by the deadline. So that's what we mean by absence of intrinsic constraint and freedom. We're freedom from necessarily making any choice. Then we have psychological freedom. And what's that? That's a more or less greater awareness of our ontological freedom. That is, I, I really am aware of just how free I am, that I am free to choose what I do without any kind of constraint. Though if I'm limited physically, that's a different story. But within myself, uh, I can choose without any determination from other forces. And then psychologically, I have a greater or lesser real capacity to exercise my freedom. I feel free. I'm aware of my freedom. Now, what might interfere with my psychological freedom? Well, certain mental illnesses certainly w would interfere, but um, an excessively rigid attitude or, or training about... Um, what's good and bad, perfectionism, voluntarism, I have to be absolutely perfect in everything or I'm not acceptable to anyone, God, others, myself. Um, that's kind of a, a psychological limit on our freedom. But psychological freedom is the interior sense of, yes, I know I can choose what I want to do and it makes sense to think about what I'm going to choose and then act in accordance. And then moral freedom consists in developed habits that allow me to use my freedom in a mature, healthy, and integrated way. Okay, so it means maturity, it means integration, and it means growing in virtue. Because these habits that allow me to use my freedom in a mature, healthy, and integrated way are what we call the virtues. And we all are familiar with the four uh, cardinal or basic virtues, prudence, justice, fortitude, and temperance. And these virtues, interestingly enough, if you look back to the earliest thinking, the earliest ethical thinking uh, that we have of the earliest philosophers, they're these same four virtues. Why are these four virtues consistently the qualities, the habits that people um, think know are necessary for human life? Because they're the habits, they're the uh, developed ways of behaving that help us do things so that our humanity flourishes. In other words, 
They're behaviors that we know instinctively that if I act this way, I will be happy because I will have what is good in these realms, okay? In the realms of prudence, which is choice, knowing how to choose, choosing the good, justice, giving each person uh, and in each circumstance, trying to assure that everyone has what they deserve, what, what is due to them, what is good for them. Um, fortitude or courage. I'm not a weakling. I, I, I put myself out for whatever reason to help others, to achieve a goal, to work well so that I can get a promotion and, and you know better provide for my family or so that I can study and succeed in my discipline and go forward and you know get a good job, do a good job in contributing to society and so forth. And then temperance or moderation. I know, again, almost instinctively, that if I don't bring my desires for the things that satisfy my feelings and my senses, I will not be able to focus on anything other than fulfilling my desires of sense pleasure. So moral freedom then is where the rubber really meets the road and it takes my effort to develop these four paths, these four ways of behaving and choosing, you might say, that will perfect my humanity, that will make me truly free and bring me happiness in the long run. Aristotle says, happiness then is found to be something perfect and self-sufficient, being the end to which our actions are directed. He also says that excellence is an art, excellence meaning virtue, because that was uh, the, the sense in which excellence was understood in his time. Excellence is an art won by training and habituation. We do not act rightly because we have virtue or excellence, but we rather have those because we have acted rightly. We are what we repeatedly do. Excellence then is not an act, but a habit. So we need to want to train ourselves, kind of like a marathon runner, right? You can't just go out and run a marathon without training, without preparation. The body won't do it. But if I go through the training, if I go through getting used to what my muscles need to do, the speed I need to achieve, um, building my muscles up, etc., without thinking on the day of the marathon almost, I will be able to just run my best, right? So this is kind of what virtue is. Virtue is choosing the way I want to be then developing little by little my capacity of will to choose in that direction repeatedly. And if I do this with prudence, justice, fortitude, and temperance, ultimately I will be an integrated, mature human being. Okay? And because, as St. Thomas says, grace builds on nature, the better I am as a human being with these four habits, the more grace will be able to perfect these habits in me and make me capable of loving God and loving others, and thus being happy myself, and enjoying, actually, the love of God and others for me. So it's that give and take. We're made for relationship, 
And if we use our freedom correctly, we will be happy, and so far as a human being can be happy, in this world with its difficulties and vicissitudes, but then happy forever in heaven with God and others. So the goal then of human existence is happiness, as St. Thomas Aquinas says in his Summa. It is impossible for any created good to constitute man's happiness, for happiness is that perfect good which entirely satisfies one's desire. Otherwise, it would not be the ultimate end if something yet remained to be desired. Now, the object of the will of man's desire is what is universally good, just as the object of the intellect is what is universally true. Hence, it is evident that nothing can satisfy man's will except what is universally good. This is to be found not in any creature but in God alone, because every creature has only participated goodness. Therefore, God alone can satisfy the will of man, according to the words of the Psalms, who alone satisfies your desire with good things. Therefore, God alone constitutes man's happiness. So the ultimate good, then, is the goal towards which a person directs his or her entire life, which fulfills all dimensions of being human. But because we are embodied spirits, we need those human goods, and it's great, we should use our freedom, to achieve those human goods that are necessary for a decent, flourishing human life. Those will not, of themselves, satisfy. So therefore, we need to aspire to the highest, the non-material good, which we've talked about already. But in order to direct our choice, those goods need to be evaluated by the intellect, which will direct the will. So ultimately, the perfection of the human person is the development of the intellectual and moral virtues in pursuit of the highest good. And possession of the highest good will confer the greatest happiness of which the human person is capable. So there are then virtues of the mind, virtues of the intellect. And what are those virtues? The intellectual virtues are theoretical and practical. Okay? They are knowing. So theoretical intellectual virtues are understanding, science, and wisdom. The practical intellectual virtues are art and prudence. Understanding is simply knowing the basic facts of reality. Science is knowing different disciplines, history, literature, etc., but also the organized bodies of knowledge that we acquire, um, both through study and living, that allow us to understand the world more deeply through its causes, through its relationships, uh, through the relationships of facts and truths to one another in an orderly, uh, logical fashion. So wisdom means knowing how everything fits together. Wisdom takes experience, theoretical knowledge, and weaves it together into a worldview where I understand the totality of reality, and I can then make choices that will lead me to the highest good to, and to act in an integrated fashion. And wisdom comes from reflection on what I know, what I have learned, uh, and my experience, 
so that I can put this all together and have, as I said, a worldview, a way of looking at the world, an outlook. And then the practical intellectual virtues are art, known as techne also by the Greeks, and prudence or phronesis. Art means knowing how to do something, knowing how to produce an external good, whether it is a painting, um, a tasty dinner, uh, a good legal brief, whatever, but it's, it's the knowledge of how to do something uh, to produce a good outside myself. Prudence, on the other hand, is a speculative virtue that helps us make decisions. It seeks the best means to the highest good. And that's the virtue that then, there's an, a moral virtue, okay, of the same name, that intellectual virtue of knowing how to choose, theoretically speaking, in the truth, what is the best good here and now, and how it fits into the whole, how it will lead me to my ultimate goal, that virtue is complemented by the moral virtue of prudence, which functions in this way, that once we know what is true and good, and our intelligence, our reason says, okay, choose this, our will takes that and executes it. So the virtue of prudence uh, on the moral level means knowing what is true and good, figuring out how to achieve that true and good in the here and now, in the circumstances in which I am currently, with the people and things around me, etc. Then justice is to give each person what they are do, what they ought to have as human beings and in their circumstances, etc. Fortitude or courage means standing up to difficulties, uh, persevering in an effort that is difficult. I'm not going to give up halfway through because it gets hard, but I'm going to. Um, carry out this activity to the end. Um, it also means defending in the face of difficulty and death, if necessary, what is true and good. It means going out and making the effort to try to achieve what is true and good. In other words, setting goals for myself and going for the, pursuing those goals with tenacity and desire and, you know, through thick and thin, so to speak. And then temperance or moderation is bringing my desires for pleasure, whether it's rest or food or um, any other pleasure, into its proper degree at a given moment in time. Because that what happens when we uh, give into pleasures excessively and, and get into trouble that way is it's not that things aren't good. They're good. They're, they're put there by God to be enjoyed, uh, etc., but rightly, not to excess. Um, so we need to, to bring, to cultivate the virtue that allows me to say no to things like that um, when I need to so that I can attend to something else, so that I can do something else, right? Um, and then there is this lovely uh, little saying that I like very much that goes like this. Plant an act, reap a habit. Plant a habit, reap a virtue or vice. Plant a virtue or vice, reap a character. Plant a character, reap a destiny. So then the virtues, these four cardinal, as they're called, fundamental virtues, uh, correspond to 
the fundamental human emotions, and they they write, they correct, if you will, uh, what are called the, the seven deadly sins. You know, those sources of all sin that we have within us, kind of virtually instinctively, because our nature has been damaged by original sin. So, the there are two sets of emotions that the virtues need to work on. They're the concupiscible appetites, as they're called, and the irascible appetites. The concupiscible appetites are tendencies toward a good or an object as enjoyable, whereas our irascible appetites are tendency toward the good or object that is difficult to attain. And you'll recognize these easily. So the, our tendencies toward a good that is enjoyable are either like or dislike, if we realize well, it's not as good as I, or in the way I thought it was, desire or aversion, joy and sorrow. The irascible appetites are hope, if I think I can achieve what I want, or despair, no, it's hopeless, courage, yes, I'm going to make every effort to achieve it, or fear, oh, I don't know if it's going to work, which of course weakens us, and then anger, which is the response of a sentient being to a threat of injury, danger, or death. It's the cornered animal response. Um, something's happening. I can't control it. I don't know if I can overcome it. I don't know if I can liberate myself from this difficulty. And so I go on the attack. And the seven deadly sins and their contrasting virtues are pride versus humility, Okay, containing that desire to, to achieve, which is what pride really is. I want the best. I want to achieve the best. I want to get the best. You'll remember from one of the previous sessions, we had that analogy of the charioteer with two horses, the one called appetite, which is the concupiscible tendencies, and the other spirit, which is the irascible um, tendencies, the desire to achieve and, and do something, do good. Humility brings it under the direction of the mind. Anger versus kindness. Okay. Again, no, we don't have to go on the attack every time we don't get something we want. Rather, uh, we need to calm down, think it through, and then behave in a way that is good for us and everyone else involved. Greed versus generosity. Again, because we know what is good, we, we see all the goods in the world, we want them all, and that's natural because we want what is good. But then greed is our sort of damaged nature wanting it in the wrong way for the wrong reason, all for me, right? So generosity means I, can, I share. I'm willing to enjoy the goods that exist, but I'm also willing to give them away. Why? Because that will make someone else happy too. Envy versus love. Again, I want it all for myself. I want to be everything myself. I want to be admired, I, I, you know, my vanity flattered, etc versus love. No, not really. There's enough good to go around. I don't have to have it all. But that takes discipline because the, there's that instinct of, I want it all for myself. Gluttony versus temperance. This is really basic. You know, moderation. Uh, gluttony does really bad things. Heart disease, etc., etc. Um, not to mention demeaning the human person to the level of an animal. If really give in to that. Lust versus self-control, which is just another word for temperance for moderation. There is a time and place for physical love, and it should be enjoyed only then. 
sloth versus zeal, laziness, right? Versus, no, got to have good goals and get up and pursue them and, and make sure that I, I sort of make myself get up and pursue them, you know, convince myself, hey, yes, you've got to get off the couch and go do what is important and useful and good because it's not uh, helping you or anyone to lie around here, even though it feels great when you're tired to just lie there and rest, okay? So after that very quick summary of virtue and our drive for happiness, um, I'd like to suggest some books that are helpful to go a little deeper in virtue and character development, um, both in terms of helping young people develop character and improving ourselves. These are from Scepter Publishers. Uh, there's one called Character Building by David Isaacs. And then uh, Alexander Havard has three books, From Temperament to Character, Virtuous Leadership, and Created for Greatness. And then Jose Martin has a book called Family Virtues, which are very good introductions to uh, virtue and character development on a more spiritual uh, level, more theological level, I would suggest Joseph Pieper's Four Cardinal Virtues. And then just to conclude with a few comments, um, we choose, we choose according to conscience, and conscience depends on our intellectual development, our, our knowing the truth, and uh, then our wanting to live in it. Because conscience is not a little bird that sits on my shoulder, as we well know, and tells me, do this, don't do that. Um, but conscience is a judgment of my reason. In other words, my intellect judges. This is a, an ethically, a morally good thing to do, and therefore I'm going to choose to do this particular thing. Um, or I'm in the midst of, of doing something, and I realize this is ethically, morally good, so I'll continue doing it, or not. Okay, no, no, I better stop because this is really not good. Um, or I can look back on decisions and actions that I've carried out in the past and say, well, that really wasn't right, that wasn't good. Um, so conscience is this capacity of our intelligence, of our reason, to judge the ethical, the moral quality of a choice that we've made, an activity that we've carried out. Um, and the fundamental moral law is do good and avoid evil. And I think it's interesting to, to look at that. It, do good is the first part. Okay, I think sometimes we can get trapped in, oh, avoid evil, and then ethics and morality becomes a series of don'ts. Don't do this, don't do that, don't do I don't know what. Whereas it really is not. Okay, If we're operating in the realm of what is true and good, we're looking at what should I do? Okay, what activity should I carry out? And we can see from this little overview that we just took of the virtues and the, the vices that the virtues perfect us. In other words, they, they bring us into the fullness of our humanity. So we need to foster and we need to make sure that we understand that the fundamental moral law, which says do good and avoid evil, means go out there and do something, not, you know, just don't do this, don't do that, don't, because the don't mentality can turn us into perfectionists. Okay, to be good, I have to do this, that, and the other thing, and I can't do that, this, that, or the other thing, you know. 
um, and we get tangled up in ourselves. And instead of being able to think about others, think about God, think about what is good, and, and actually enjoy the world, enjoy life, enjoy our interior freedom, we're tangled up in do's and don'ts. Okay? So if we train ourselves via the virtues, if we, if we can make it habitual that we judge prudently, that we exercise justice and, and courage and moderation, we will then be able to look outside of ourselves and want and go for doing what is good. And uh, we like to achieve, we like to, we like to do, we're made to do, right? Um, so living the virtues will make us happy and will help us be better. So I'd like to just finish then with one statement, um, and this is from Benedict XVI that I think sums up what we've been thinking about this time. He says, freedom really finds its creative space in the realm of what is good. Love is creative. Truth is creative. It is under these conditions that my eyes are truly opened, and I can recognize things for what they are. In other words, freedom comes into its own in revealing and developing those things in the realm of good that is yet lie waiting to be discovered, and in extending thereby the potentialities of the created order. Thank you for being here, and we look forward to seeing you next time.